calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hello everyone and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. My name is Dale Driver and today I have with me one Matt Persler. Hello. How you doing Matt? I'm alright, thank you. How are you Dale? I'm, I'm alright, I'm surviving. Thriving and surviving. <laughs> Those Joe. two things don't feel like they could be part of the same deal. <laughs> Joe, are you thriving or surviving? I'm thriving for now and then when the summer really kicks off, I'm surviving. That's That's how it works. Uh, so we've we've got a bunch of stuff that we we've uh, I want to say cobbled together today, but it, but they are you know they are in, informative, I imagine. So we we should we've got point, a couple of we should point out that this is going out after the first day of Star Wars celebration, but we are recording mm. before that's happened, and we'll be covering Star Wars next week because uh, schedules, you know. Can't, yeah, you just, so we, we can't do everything all the time. All right, get off our backs. So obviously, yeah, today you listen to us on Friday. Obi Wan Kenobi's first two episodes are out. We haven't seen them yet, but next week we're planning to, you know, do a big old Star Wars chat. So yeah, we'll we'll get to all that. In the meantime, though, we're swapping to another property. We've got Lord of the Rings to talk mm. about, specifically the little man Gollum, Smeagol in the flesh. <laughs> Matt, you've seen some of the new Gollum game. Uh, I what have. Are you, what are you saying? Unfortunately, let's <laughs> uh, let's let's go exactly where we need to go with this one, eh? So, uh, the Lord of the Rings Gollum, a stealth adventure game from uh, a German studio called Daedalic. Um, they, you may have heard of them before if you're in the PC space. They've made quite a few kind of uh, point-and-click adventures, which I think range from ropey to okay. Um, <laughs> And this is, they have been given by the Tolkien estate, no less, the rights to make a game about Gollum. I think the Tolkien estate is probably, I know they have a problem with violence. Like they thought that kind of even Peter Jackson's uh, trilogy was a bit kind of like big on the violence compared to the story. Um, So I think probably after the Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games, they were probably looking for a developer to work with that's a bit more narrative focused. 
So, what did they imagine that Tolkien was thinking of when he kept writing the word war? <laughs> when all of these orcs have been like, he may not describe it as kind of like how Peter Jackson has specific heads flying off and and, and bits of mm. guts coming out of orcs, but it is pretty much about lots of men, lots of elves, lots of dwarfs coming together against lots of orcs. Fisticuffs, yeah. Queensbury rules. Mm. That's what he's thinking. <laughs> So, Gollum is a stealth game in which there is no combat whatsoever. You obviously play as as the twisted creature Gollum, who cannot mm. fight at all. So it is a game of kind of stealthing your way through the regions of Middle-earth, kind of starting in Mordor. Um, this is kind of just before Fellowship of the Ring starts. So okay. Gollum is still trying to get the ring back, but kind of Sauron is, you know, there's obviously that point that they talk about in the first film and the first book about how he got captured and tortured by Sauron, and that's how they find out that the ring's in the Shire. So it's around this kind of set set of time. So he's he's distinctly Gollum-y. Like yes. he's not he's not mid transformation. No, 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 no. He's had he's he's done like five hundred years at this point of corruption <laughs> and, and and sort of eating fish in dank caves. Um, Do you think it will like connect to the point where in the Fellowship of the Ring where you get you know a, a tease of him like basically is he on their trail in this so, game? So from what I understand, I think the game is supposed to end around the time when he gets to Baradur, which is obviously the yeah. when um, in you know as we know from the Fellowship of the Ring, there's a bit where you hear like the the rocks crumbling and and yes. Frodo's like what's following us Gandalf and he's like oh the creature Gollum is 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 coming after us and you see a crappy early CGI yeah. version mm-hmm. of Gollum <laughs> so i think basically that's the end point and this is obviously starting kind of like way before Frodo even understands what the ring is right but because it is a pure stealth game and it's not about like you can't fight which i understand you know why Gollum can't fight he's not exactly well known for brandishing a broadsword is he um he's a wimp (laughs) this game is is about kind of like i suppose distraction and avoiding um to the point that it's actually more or less an instant fail stealth game which instantly remember those (laughs) yeah instantly makes me rather concerned about the the creative direction of this because we know that um that is not a good design choice and it was very quickly worked out by stealth designers that you find ways around this now a little bit hard like in assassin's creed that's easier to do because you just create an escalation system right that if you get spotted at least an assassin's creed character can stab people back Mm -hmm. I do wish that they'd found something that Gollum could do rather than just... They have said that there is a leeway point between being spotted by enemies that you can escape. But if you are close to an enemy, which quite often you can be in stealth scenarios where like you're literally like, you know, kind of like the... The, the whole point of like you sliding in the shadows two feet away from the enemy and the yeah. thrill of getting past. Um, I get the impression that if you are that close to an enemy and they spot you, it's game over. So I'm a bit concerned about what the stealth side of things might be here is there like a slow motion alert moment where you get tri- you get a chance to get away so i don't know because basically uh so to make it clear we did not get to play Gollum. like this was a 20 minute uh hands off where we were shown it and the bits that were kind of stealth focused that they showed us from are clearly from chapter one which i assume is built as a tutorial and so I only got to see a bit where Gollum goes past like a group of maybe two orcs. Um, so I don't really know in depth oh. how any of this works. And, and you know, like I don't want to put 
you know, too much of a chainsaw to a thing I've only seen 20 minutes of. Sure. But it's like, if I'm not being shown how it works, is it because it's ropey? Or... So you didn't even see a fail state then? No, no, no. They very okay. much didn't show me what that... They just said that, like, you will be captured and taken to Sauron, basically. Maybe, maybe it's incredibly violent and they don't want the Tolkien <laughs> estate to know. It's like, do you remember when you played that Tomb Raider reboot and you were like, fucking hell, what have they done to Lara in this cutscene? Just tearing Gollum's head off and eating yeah, his yeah. brain. <laughs> They'd be like, once it's out, they won't, they won't. It's too late then. Chance is gone. <laughs> Let's burn that bridge. Uh, Let's go for it. <laughs> so, so this is this is kind of the the vague setup. You can kill enemies with a stealth takedown, but they made it very clear that you need to use stamina to take enemies down, and not every enemy you're going to be able to take down with the stamina because you'll run out of stamina before you finish choking them out. Mm-hmm. Um, which still feels like well, that's just an instant do or don't, right? Like if you look at something and it's presumably a cave troll, you're not choking that out, aren't you? So it's just yeah. don't do it. So. I'm kind of concerned about what the binary restrictions are on the way it stealth works. They did say that kind of like you can pick up stones and throw them to create distractions. But the distraction they showed us was when you throw the rock at this lantern to try and distract this orc, it went into a cutscene in which the orc then fell down a pit. But if it's in a cutscene, that suggests to me that actually distractions are going to be distinct binary setup scripted moments. Mm. And so I really hope that if this is going to be a good stealth game, that there's more dynamic, you know, the Metal Gear Solid sort of style of like, oh, I shoot this like tin can over here to create a guard go, huh, what's that? And hopefully he's going to walk himself off a cliff or something. But that's not what they showed. So ultimately, like the stealth feels, at least from this 20 minutes I've seen, kind of pretty bare bones. Yeah. The other option... Most... No, carry on, on. I was going to say, the most concerning thing for me is I read your your piece mm-hmm. Matt, which is very good you should check it out um was the the fact that they acknowledged that this is Gollum's like peak of his powers like he's yeah. not you're not going to gain upgrades as you go and that is a big flag because it sounds to me like it starts off like a game like a plague stale is the one that comes to mind initially where you are very limited in what you can do in stealth but as you develop through the game you get new tactics and new abilities that help you manage these situations mm-hmm. the thing that like, like i think plague tales a really good kind of point because obviously um i can't remember what the girl's name is in in plague Tale. Um, yes I'm yeah right um, ratia <laughs> uh, amicia is it amicia, amicia yeah. Mm. yeah but she obviously has just a slingshot and, and that's not really a combat piece, right? It's a distraction no. tool. And the thing that, that I like about Plague Tale is as you're working through that game, each area you get to is a puzzle. Like, it is a stealth yeah. puzzle, but it's designed to be, I look at this and I find the solution. I'm worried that, like, Gollum might be just a bit too simple because the level design that I was seeing seemed very much like, oh, there's two pieces of shrubbery here, so you wait for the orc to walk past and then you move into the next bit of shrubbery. And like that, whereas kind of Plague Tale has got the rat element and the light element and all of that, I'm worried that kind of Gollum just might not have enough going on to make stealth feel like a thing that you want to do in that game. Yeah. In terms of not getting stronger, do they specifically mean um, that he doesn't have a skill tree or do they mean he literally won't get another item? throughout the entire so they game. say that he doesn't have a skill tree or abilities at all and the reasoning that they gave is because the time period that it's set over so let's say like the six months that it is before you know you know he gets to baradur or whatever mm. they're like well in the book he doesn't gain any new abilities 
so why should we have him like it's not logical but for me i went in with this idea that obviously Gollum is two characters right he is Gollum and Smeagol and the two personalities exist within the same body and he's constantly arguing and there's constantly choices of like is Smeagol gonna do this or is Gollum gonna do that and Mm. for me that is quite clearly two skill trees and if Gollum is the stealth character the other side of the game is that it has a lot of climbing and so I'm like if you were doing things that encourage like the Smeagol side of the personality it should build out his climbing uh, skill tree because that's the way that he can avoid combat by climbing away from enemies. So you, I could envision it like, oh, you learn how to like double backflip across wider ravines, or you learn how to swing on vines, or you learn how to kind of like, you know, maybe camouflage yourself with mud alongside and stuff like that. Whereas the stealth stuff is more like about your sneaky take, like like yeah. takedowns mm-hmm. and being able to summon spiders to take enemies and, and stuff like that. And the fact that none of this has been used just feels like, well, what are the dual personalities? Turns out there's just little dialogue bits where you kind of choose. And they say that depending on what side in this argument with yourself you take will dictate how people perceive Gollum further on in the game. And I know that kind of characters like Gandalf are in it. Um, they introduce like this other elf character called Mel, who I get the impression is a new character that they've written for the game that Gollum is working with when he's in like the the like Mirkwood area of, of Middle Earth. And apparently, like what whether you go Gollum or Smeagol will dictate like fates of certain characters. But it felt like very confined to just oh, you occasionally get these conversations between Gollum and Smeagol, and you make a choice. Um, which feels like really underutilizing like the potential at least it's a game where the main character can constantly talk to themselves and it not feel awful they they said that about it like they point out like because Gollum's got two personalities he can help the player by having one personality talk to the other to point out things in the environment Mm. so um, the Aloy situation kind of makes a little bit more sense in here Um, as for the climbing stuff which is therefore like 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 Gollum will point out like oh you know we can we can climb here and stuff like that. I think if I've been down on everything so far, like I actually think the climbing is the thing that I hated the most of what I saw. <laughs> um, oh blow! <laughs> which is you know this is this is a B tier budgeted video game, so I'm not expecting the heavens and earths of PlayStation's first party with the way this game looks, and you know the environments that they've made look reasonably good for that budget like it looked like like the bit i was seeing looked like sirifungal which is the fucking mountains that run through to mordor you know it looks maybe a little bit too close to peter jackson's version for it not to feel like it's the dollar store version of lord of the rings but it still looked like that the problem being then is there are if you look at the walls which are these big craggy mountains you can see lines drawn across it (laughs) in practically white paint to say, well, this is your climbing section. And it's like, yeah. is this a jungle gym or is this Mordor? Mm. <laughs> like, and, and, and is it always pretty much one straight, one path, do you believe? They say that there are definitely ones that don't, that do have multiple choices for how you get up them. But what I was shown was a linear path where you shimmied along one, you climbed up some vines to shimmy along another one to drop down to another one. And... While I do think that the the way that it's like a more of an adventure game than it is like a Zelda or something like that, probably the 
climb anywhere mechanics wouldn't work for the type of game that it is. It probably does need these predefined points. Mm. I've just come off finishing God of War for the second time, which uses predefined climbing. But the way that is drawn into the environment looks naturalistic. It's all broken pieces of rock. And they do draw your attention to it by having the gold runes in those Mm. broken pieces. But it looks part of the environment. With Gollum, it just looks like a level designer with an intention for where he wants Gollum to go has gone in and butchered this poor art designer's really good work. Jesus. Like, there's a bit where they were in the caverns underneath, like, the elven city in Mirkwood. And it honestly looked like a Fall Guys level in how, like, <laughs> distinct... Like, like instead of being a climbing mountain section within a cavern, it just looked like a staircase with climbing platforms on it that were flat and, like, perfectly textured with, like, weirdly rounded corners. It's just completely illusion-shattering. I really liked your point. Um, Oh, it's not your, your... Your observation that they, like... There are people just drawing like arrows on the yeah. world. Are you like, what orcs done that? Like, what are they up to? <laughs> the, they, 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 it's, it's so weird because, as I say, in you know, plenty of other games do tools to draw your attention to where the climbing is. Like um, the old Assassin's Creed, for example, used to use white pieces of fabric. Mm. Whenever you saw a white piece of fabric, you know that's a climbing route. Mm. Uh, I think was it the first Tomb Raider reboot that introduced the idea of white paint being squashed yep. on things. Yes. But in those games, it was a splash, right? It's a splash to indicate where it starts, and then you start to see in the environment where that carving is through it. This is just a white line, just drawn all the way along where you've got to climb. And then, as I say, the the arrows, which are like... Some of them were more like triangles, like triangle graffiti on the wall, but there were genuinely bits where it was kind of like either upwards or where you can do like the Titanfall-style run along the wall. There were just arrows drawn on the wall. And I'm like, what fucking orc is, is getting out his painters and decorators kit and smearing these big white arrows on the wall? It's the, it's the Urukai's thing. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I get it if at least if it was the white hand of Saruman, but it's not. And it's immortal. Yeah. It's not the right symbol. You know, you said about uh, like a Falls guy, Fall Guys level. I feel like the Tolkien estate might be more into that. Like, get Gollum in Fall Guys. There you <laughs> yeah. go. I mean, no at least it's there. everybody. Well, I say everyone. Not everyone's playing Fall Guys anymore, but it's probably got a higher player <laughs> percentage, right? So, yeah, I don't know. That's disappointing. Like, I know. Also, did you get any t- sense of like the narrative of this game? Um, not a huge amount. From like, it's obviously um, there was a very. As Gollum was walking through the areas, you can hear um, Gandalf talking to him in what is clearly an impression of Ian McKellen, unfortunately, rather than a distinct version of Gandalf, but hey-ho. And so there's definitely an element of, like, at some point in in the background of Lord of the Rings, like, Gandalf and Aragorn found Gollum to interrogate him about what have you told the Dark Lord? What did they get out of you under torture so we can prepare Frodo for what comes next? So there's obviously a build-up to that probably happening. But it being a prequel, you know exactly where it's going to end. And you know Mm. that because it's set before Lord of the Rings, actually the most interesting things about Gollum aren't going to happen because the most interesting thing about Gollum as a character is his either his interactions with Bilbo and the way that Bilbo kind of tricks him out of the ring 
or the way that he basically plays Frodo and Sam as a for a fool to steal yeah. the ring back. Those are the most interesting parts of his character. Yeah. And that's also, the stuff we're not going to get. Yeah, this story is like, it's going to be about his obsession to get the ring, but mm -hmm. we know he's never going to get that. Yeah. So it aut automatically feels flat. It's got big prequel issues. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. You know you, given the Lord of the Ring, you know, it's one of the deepest wells of pre-written lore in, in fantasy existence. Like, surely there was another thing they could have picked out of this that was more interesting than the little goblin man. <laughs> this is the thing, right? You get the sense, and this is perhaps uncharitable, maybe they just loved Gollum and had great ideas, or, you know, what felt like great ideas for him. And as we're saying, this is all based on a hands-off preview. Maybe people get their hands on and actually the game feels amazing or whatever. But you do have the sense, like, f from our side... Uh, Stuff with Gollum on it does really well because it connects on a like yeah. a it connects to those Jackson movies in a way that other stuff doesn't do. Like perhaps it's probably done better than early Shadow of Mordor stuff did for mm -hmm. us. If I, I wasn't was I here for that? I don't think I was here for that. Um, but I'd want I'd be interested to see those connections because it's a recognizable face. They are riffing heavily on mm. the design we know, and you do get the sense like how cynical is this choice? Like is have they chosen to make a golem game simply because they know that you'll get a certain amount of people who'll just buy something that's connected seemingly to the Lord of the Rings movies? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, even though it's not meant to be. Uh, I don't know. I, it, it feels like um, it feels like a troubled project to me. Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's a strange yeah. one. As you say, it's it's very much worth pointing out. Like it's, this is, it doesn't come out until September, so I'm looking at beta footage and I've only seen 20 minutes of it. One from... The first bit that was set in Mordor was from the first chapter of the game, so very tutorialized. The second bit was from the Mirkwood chapter, which is about, they said, about halfway through the game. And the climbing was a touch more freeform in that. It was more like climbing mm. around the halls and trying to get into the rafters. Um, but neither bit that I saw inspired me with a huge amount of confidence. But maybe Daedalic are better at story than they are at, at climbing mechanics and maybe maybe there's a good narrative to mm -hmm. find that they haven't been able to show in a vertical slice. I don't know. Obviously, we can't say for sure until the review comes out. So if you're really into Gollum, maybe give them the benefit of the doubt. But um, certainly what I saw did not inspire any confidence in me. Damn. Anyway, let's let's go positive. I, and I say positive. I assume positive because the next thing on the running order, I don't actually know what it is, but mm. I know Joe's watched it, and the fact that he said he wants to talk about it makes leads me to believe it's positive. You are correct, so, Joe. You've been watching Outer Range. Outer Range. Have either yeah. of you watched this? Do either no. of you know what it is? I've not got a clue what it is. I right. know Josh Brolin's in it, right? Yeah. This is yeah. what's so bizarre about this program. It's a Josh Brolin Amazon original that has just had its finale. And I don't know fucking anyone who's watched it. And I only watched it because I accidentally read a spoiler-filled interview with Josh Brolin. <laughs> was like, actually, this sounds wicked. Um, <laughs> it is a modern Western that is also like a new weird sci-fi story. Uh, yeah. So Josh Brolin is a rancher. Um, he uh, has a sort of troubled relationship, but not outwardly... Uh, aggressive relationship with the next door ranch who appear to be much more successful he is like old school they still ride horses they do everything the old way 
the ranch next door appears, even though we don't see it too much, to be like much more modern and they are much richer as a result. Um, the head of that family is Will Patton, who I hadn't really seen before, but uh, is like apparently very well known. I'm just stupid. He's fucking incredible in this. Like he plays this like maniac dude who he's like, I put a clip, if you want to see him in action, I put a clip up of a speech he does on my Twitter a couple of weeks ago, just being like, this is one of the most mesmerizing performances I've seen on TV for ages. It's just him talking about how he got really into erotic art for a while, and he's in a bed drinking Clamato juice and just regaling him about how he wanted his house to make your heart speed up. It's fucking incredible. Uh, But the core of this story is, Josh Brolin goes out to his west pasture one day and finds a hole like an endless bottomless pit to nowhere that appears to have floating dust in it. And he kind of semi loses his mind because this is this unfathomable cosmic mystery that sits on his land. Um, And then it turns into partly that mystery, um, partly a family drama, partly a crime story. Like there are so many different plot lines that all appear to be converging on some sort of mysterious event. And I'm trying not to give even the ending of the first episode away because there's so much fucking weird shit in this show. And this is why I don't understand why no one's talking about it. It's got, like, as it goes on, it starts introducing elements that are, like, quite broadly funny and you can't tell whether it's meaning to do that or not. It's got some of that sort of Twin Peaksy vibe. It's not Twin Peaksy in the way that people, you know, it's not damn fine cup of coffee. It's not fucking weird dreams and shit all the time. But it's got some of that like, oh, I don't know whether what I've just watched is meant to be funny, if it's meant to be serious, if it's both. Like the tone shifts quite a lot and you can't really get a handle on it. Um, And it's also just like a good like old-fashioned western at the same time he's got like a son who wants to be the best rodeo guy in town and his like wife is struggling with her connection to god and it's got all these like warring aspects it's very it's like very slow um for a show that has this much going on and i think that accounts for why people maybe haven't gotten as into it but if you're Mm. into like new weird or mystery box shows and stuff like that it's like a very different take on one of those things it's just ended all eight episodes are on amazon i was i think it's really impressive and i just don't understand how it's gone under the radar in terms of the mystery box element uh by the end of the first season is there satisfying elements to that um you have had it's kind of weird the core mystery (laughs) the core mysteries are left open and there are new mysteries opened but some of those new mysteries close if that makes sense so you get like The wider thing is, like, still up in the air to some extent. But things you've learned along the way have been introduced and then solved. Um, It feels like shows of that ilk have got better at that these days. Like Severance and Yellow Jackets are good examples of still keeping a lot of things going, but answering some questions along the way. There's there's some stuff in there as well that um, indicates they appear to know where it's going. So you get senses of things where you're like, oh, they are actually working towards something. It's not blank mystery. They aren't just opening, like opening a plot that they don't know how to close in the future. Um, There's also a couple of like good, like really solid, like 
meaty, twisty bits where you're kind of like, oh, that's cool. I'm glad they've done, like, plot, proper plot moments where you're like, oh, we'll talk about this with someone afterwards. Um, and like, yeah, it's just, it's a cool show, man. Like, I I think I've seen, there's a slight, it's, I think from what I have seen of it, there's a slightly mixed response. And I think that is partly the slowness of it and the tonal weirdness. Okay. But I think if you buy into it, uh, it really worked for us. Like, is yeah, is it the sort of show with what? After watching one episode, you get a sense of what it is and watch, whether you like it or not. Watch two because okay. the end of episode two gives you a lot more in the way of the mystery. Like, pl- like episode one is very much about who are these people, what's this thing. Right. Episode two is like, okay, there's some shit happening now, um, <laughs> and it ends in a really wild place. Um, I, I, I genuinely like it's. It's an hour-long show. That obviously, that's a big commitment. I'm not one of those people who's like, mm. you've got to watch 16 episodes to turn, fully yeah. understand it. But this one, it do. If you're interested, give it two and see where you're at with it. The other interesting thing about it, I find, is that Josh Brolin. You know, a few years ago, he played the past version of Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black Three. Yes, yeah. He's that's now more than just. Few years ago. Yeah. He's now just Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> like here, this whole performance, he's basically Tommy Lee Jones in No Country for Old Men. And I'm like, when did this happen? Is he is he playing older or is he like a really old dude and I haven't noticed for years? Um, it's really odd seeing Thanos just like wander about as a mopey old man. It's great. He did that at the end of uh, Infinity War. Spoilers. Well, yeah, true. Technically, <laughs> in um, in terms of the the new weird kind of stuff, I think probably for both me and like I guess a lot of people listening to this, like references for that would be something like Annihilation and even Control. Yeah. How how similar-ish is its new weird elements to those um definitely not control it's not horror flecked in Mm -hmm. that way it's got something of like the blank world is fucked but we can't comprehend it feel of annihilation like i think i said on here like i recently read the book of annihilation Mm -hmm. and there are bits that remind me of that where it's it's presenting you with something but the way people are reacting to it and the way you're shown it feel like you're being kind of kept at a distance from what's really going on. And there's, there's something of the sort of like reality warping element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say more that like ecological weirdness as opposed to supernatural in some regard. I mean, it is supernatural, but you know what I mean? <clears throat> um, it's, it's cool in that regard. And it does a couple of things. It's just impossible not to give stuff away. It does some stuff where you're like, it's not just, this hole in the ground, if you see what I mean. Like, yeah. there's, there seems to be something going on. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's very cool. Like, and just, it's just different. Like, it, it's a mystery box show, but it's nothing like Lost. It's nothing like Yellow Jackets, but it's, but it's aiming for those same places. And I really like that we're seeing all these shows, like, try, kind of experiment with this stuff a bit more. Mm. Um, yeah. I, uh, had to google who will Patton was because i didn't recognize the yeah. name and i looked at his face i was like i know this motherfucker from somewhere and i could not work it out is he in love no i went for his entire back catalog and i worked out i know him from gone in 60 seconds <laughs> <laughs> he's he's also like everyone says this is like weirdo version of yellowstone that other big kind of western yeah, he was in that as pastor. well right? and he's in that as a main character yeah. so it's he's kind of taking on like the cowboy mantle um, to be fair, he's in a lot of stuff. So I've definitely seen him in other things as well, but that's where I recognised his face. But yeah, it, uh, honestly, if you just want a sense of how 
wild the tone of this show can be watch that clip i've put on twitter because it's it's he's so strange in it it's amazing um yeah it's really good I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a look, see what I think. I, I would love to, I would love to just chat about it with people, even if they don't like it. Just because the only, literally the only other person I know, aside from uh, my girlfriend who's watched it, is Gav, previously of this podcast, and we're just both messaging each other every now and then, going like, "What the? F- Why is no one talking about this show? You just want to have a little chat about it. It's good." Two things there. One, I'm surprised Gav hasn't messaged me about because when there's a mystery box show, he usually does. Mm. And two, it's your fiance, Joe, not your girlfriend. Well, both, all right? It's a Schrodinger's, <laughs> Schrodinger's relationship situation. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, good TV shows. Let's move on to another one. Mm. Better Call Saul. Um, before I we talk about it, I thought it's a good chance to jump ahead to some feedback because we've had some specifically about Better Call Saul. So mm-hmm. I thought I'd read that out first. And this is from Joseph McCormack. And he says, hey all... As is tradition, long-time listener who respects the sea and gravediggers in equal measure. Thank God. <laughs> I was wondering if any of the regulars on the pod have been watching Better Call Saul. It's in its final series with the mid-series finale just airing in Australia today. Expat here, having moved over in 2010, and the last couple of years haven't given me too much insensitive or, or allowance to return. After last week's podcast, I'd said I'd ri- I'd write in to see if... Sorry, I'm misreading this completely. After last week's podcast, I said I'd write in to see if anyone was watching it. And now after the mid-series finale, I'm even more curious. This show is as great and potentially better in a few ways than Breaking Bad. And I haven't heard much buzz about it bar between me and my friends. I've tried to sell it to fans of Breaking Bad, but with little success for unknown, I don't, unknown reasons. I don't even think they started Better Call Saul. Uh, if any of you watching, what do you think? Or if you stop watching it, how come? The last one of episodes, and in particular this asked episodes, are hitting the heights of Breaking Bad. Thanks again for the gaming gas piped into my ears while I do my big Sunday shop. So, have you boys been watching it? No, Not I think this I think series. Yeah, I think I've said before, I've never got past episode three of series one. So, okay. so, so um, I actually think series one wasn't super great, but I do think mm-hmm. two and three are absolute bangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think generally it's been on for a pretty good course. I'd say it's probably at, at least kind of, obviously, I so I'm waiting till, is it August when it actually finishes? Yeah, so it's only a six week gap mm-hmm. in between. It's like what Ozark did recently, where they just have a mid season and then they separate by six weeks. Cynically, I noticed on, I was reading about it on Wikipedia earlier and it said because it, it was uh, for award nomination reasons. Right. So they can get two years out of it, mm-hmm. apparently. Uh, I'm not sure if it's also Netflix has motivations for people not just binging a series, like keeping them subscribed for another month. Probably a combination of yeah. the two, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, the seven episodes of the first part of season six is yeah. just finished. So I will wait until it's all done because I like basically watching an episode a day. Like that's mm-hmm. quite how I like doing TV shows. Um, but certainly it wasn't last year. Was it the year before? Or was it the year before that when it was last on? Yeah, it feels like ages yeah. ago. So much so that there's definitely stuff that's happened in this season where I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to remember this person, mm-hmm. but I don't remember that person. And that has happened quite a lot in this show as a whole it's quite like super dense in terms of characters and there was definitely a couple of characters that i had to go back and refresh my mind of oh they were in season one they were in season two right that's the connection it's uh it's very heavy with that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. i'm like i've been like i think maybe a bit like you matt like i thought the first season was okay and then the second and third was really good I, i think it's been consistently good since then but i definitely feel like 
Like there were, I feel like I was part of that conversation at one point where this could be better than Breaking Bad. And I feel like that's long gone for me. It doesn't feel as like, the narrative doesn't feel as precise as Breaking mm -hmm. Bad, as controlled. It feels a bit wild. I remember, like, obviously I'm remembering a long time ago now, but the, the last season I remember being really thrilled by. But I did wonder if by the time we got to the end, is it now just Breaking Bad by a different name and kind of mm. like the actual Better Call Saul setup, which felt like the stuff about him and his brother and particularly yeah. kind of Kim's earlier kind of like build up felt like quite a distinct show. And it felt like it was moving more towards kind of like some of the ideas it used in Breaking Bad. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because obviously it's supposed to build into that show. But I was wondering if maybe they were trying to find more of a melding point in the middle rather than having two distinct kind of shows. Yeah, I think um, part of the problem there is, like, it's it's not a spoiler to say, in the first season it's very clear that it is story of Sol Goodman but also Mike Ehrmantraut as yeah. well. And as the show goes along, it they, they start off together but they slowly sort of drift apart. And so so much so in the last couple of seasons it's been... Two, two different stories completely mm. like going on in the same city but in different everything's different they're not really connected and it does feel like this season that separation was even bigger um obviously i assume at the end of the show it's all going to sort of meld together again uh, but it definitely feels like a big disconnect there so much so that it can be a little bit jarring sometimes when you're swapping between you're invested in one story and then you just quickly swap into another one but I did think I agree with uh, uh, Joseph, who said uh, about the finale of this season was like spectacular, like in terms of shocking moments and delivering like a great finale episode um, and also did take steps to merging the stories as mm -hmm. well, which I'm very excited to see. But again, I still like it does. A lot of it feels like fan service sometimes as well, especially in terms of establishing where Saul Goodman is at the start of Breaking Bad, it definitely feels like this season, it's like, oh, do you remember that thing that he's got in his office? Right. Well, this is how, you know, this is the hint of where he first came up with that. It's Han Solo being given his gun. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of that going on. It's definitely more tactful than Han Solo getting his surname, for example, <laughs> which is, you know, awful. Uh, but yes, I don't think it will ever quite be you know it, it stands on the shoulders of breaking bad really so i don't think ever think it will really like overtake its legacy um, it also has this thing that it does this season but it's a lot but it's done in previous seasons where the opening pre-credits scene is always like super confusing you don't know what's going on and then obviously by the end of the episode mm -hmm. you understand that and i like that sometimes when it's every episode and my wife looks at me and said what's going on i was like you just have to wait to the end of the episode and that's when we'll work it out and she's like I find it's a bit tired now. Mm. I've seen that same formula a lot of times. Yeah, it was like, I, the one I always remember of that is season, is it season two or season three of Breaking Bad where it's the teddy bear floating yes. in the um, in the, mm. in the the swimming pool? And that I think is a great, like what on earth is going on here? This singed teddy bear. And yeah. then it all leads into a storyline that I won't say for anybody that hasn't had the pleasure of watching one of the best TV shows ever made. I would say that was one of its weakest storyline aspects though, I think the ending of that season and what that teddy bear sure. actually meant. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> yeah, but it, it's quite a memorable kind of like shot to yes. um, like narrative trajectory. Mm -hmm. um, but like you say, kind of like Gilligan is very good at a good ending, particularly a good ending shot. Like mm -hmm. how a finale will always like some of the finales from from Breaking Bad will always end with like the absolute perfect fade to black shot. 
And yeah. so I think he's good at building like a like a really resonant kind of finale. So I expect like I will have a lot of fun with this. Yeah. Even if as you say, maybe not quite as sharp as Breaking Bad ever was. Yeah. I'm very excited to see how they wrap it up because there there's obviously characters in this show that are main characters that are barely mentioned, if at all, in Breaking Bad. So it's there is there is the plight of some characters there where it's not the prequel syndrome mm-hmm. of knowing what's going to happen with them. Obviously, you know something's going to happen, you don't know how it's going to all fall into place. And then I am genuinely thinking about just re-watching Breaking Bad as soon as Better Call Saul is finished. <laughs> just to, like, yeah, you know, it might be nice. Might, might, we might see things in a new light as well. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, like, people don't really talk. You don't hear people chat about Breaking Bad. And I know it's because culture moves on, right? But, like, mm-hmm. I do think it's one of those shows that, like, I think it probably does stand up very well. It was yeah. so... It, it was a show that couldn't rely on spectacle or effect or anything like that. Because... You know, I think when it started, it probably had like a reasonable good budget, but it was obviously started pretty low. It was just a bunch of deserts and a yeah. man in a caravan for most of it. So I think like it was so funneled by sharp writing and, and compl- cinematography. I'd yeah, say as well. yeah. Some of those like I know that he's so well known for it, but that where he puts a camera in a moving object and like like yeah. in a shopping cart and being pushed around. He's so good at that. But um, the, the iconic one is inside the washing machine, washing all the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spinning around. All, all yeah. of that is so good. But that and the fact that he got the whole thing, he knew what he was doing from the start, right? He always knew that it was the the plight of Mr. Chips becoming Scarface. Like, yeah. It's such a good idea for a show. I, I think because it was so, became so popular and it moved into the mainstream in terms of popularity that it almost became, you know, uncool to, mm-hmm. to sort of talk about breaking bad i'm sure you know it'll come around again where it becomes the hot new thing again but uh, it definitely felt like it amongst like hipster sort of conversations it's sort of the landscape changed mm-hmm. a little bit yeah. joe were you, were, you, were you much of a fan you of fan. breaking bad yeah yeah massive i loved it yeah. um it was uh, it, it was just that like culture thing at the time of mm-hmm. like where i was working at the time we did the finale episode bunch of people stayed after work all got beers put it on a big screen in a director's boardroom and just like you know it became like a, it became one of those shows in a way that not many shows do um yeah and it was yeah it, that was really special at the time um yeah. i think my tolerance for stress in tv shows has gone down massively over the years <laughs> and uh Beckles all strikes me as a show that could be stressful quite a lot of the time um, which I think is part of why I've been like less keen on on chasing it up. Um, yeah. One day I'll probably get there. Bob Odenkirk's great. I like everyone. Um, Vince Gilligan did loads of good X Files episodes. He deserves my attention. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, one day I'll get there. Cool. Before uh, oh. well, before we get into the next thing. Well, we... I was just going to say, write in if you have seen. And you've mm. got, you know, thoughts on the show. It's IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Joe, what were you going to say? Just quick thing that's not on the running order. Public service announcement. Okay. Uh, I want everyone to know who enjoys snacks on this, uh, <laughs> who listens to this podcast and who is on this podcast. Buy the new Snickers creamy butter, uh, creamy peanut butter bar. It is one of the best chocolate bars I've eaten in the last decade. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, it is uh, most it's normal Snickers chocolate. At the bottom, it's like 
tough caramel, like chewy caramel in a really nice way, and then soft peanut butter on top. Mm. It blows my fucking socks off. I had it for the first time on Wednesday. <laughs> I haven't stopped thinking about it since. It's so, so good. I despise nuts. Oh, the smell of nuts, the taste of nuts. So I'm not going to be going anywhere near it. Get involved. Matt. It's so good. <laughs> uh, I'm not a huge peanut, like the peanut butter kind of craze that goes on with, um, like particularly in America for like the Reese's kind of stuff. I'm very kind of middling on, but um, I'm going to trust you. Like I, uh, I love a good, good chocolate bar, and I'd much rather like let's go experiment. Let's broaden my chocolate mm. horizons. <laughs> yeah. Also on the crisps thing, have either of you noticed that Takis Fuego are like now a big thing in the U- in the UK? Are they? Purple oh, bag, yeah. Takis Fuego. They are <laughs> bright red curled up Doritos that are like spicy, but also lemony, but also salty. They're wild. Um, they are like dangerously American crisps. Uh, and um, yeah, they've started, I think they've started making them in the UK. They're in like every shop near me now. Uh, I would recommend... If you're interested in okay. some wild crisps, get some Takis Fuego down, yeah. That's the uh, the end of the Scribble Snack yeah. portion of the of the podcast. Just a little update. <laughs> Let's move on to the Endless Search. Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Shit. Yeah, yeah, and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, and ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Is it in the search? Okay, we've got a nice. Uh, it's a short one, but I think it, I think it could be fun. This mm-hmm. was sent in by Kevin Evans, and he says, "Hey guys, first time Kevin Evans. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Evans. Kevin That's Evans. a good name." <laughs> Firstly, thanks for keeping the endless search as a regular feature with a little smiley face. Second, here's my suggestion for an endless search game that I'm calling Better Critic. Hold on, hold on. Mm. Better Critic. I literally worked on a product called Better Critic. It never Did made you? it to market, but it was called Better Critic. <laughs> it's actually like shocking that that hasn't released, right? Considering like Metacritic is like the go-to term for reviews. I feel like the problem is that if it's not better than Metacritic as soon as it comes out, you're fucked. Hey, like, shoot what? for the stars. It though. wasn't better than Metacritic, I can tell you that. <laughs> so this game understandably is about Metacritic, but it says which scored better on Metacritic, the game or the related movie or TV series, which I think is a... Uh, an interesting thing. So here's some of the games that are based on screen properties and then some that are the other way around. And what he's done is listed the the movie or TV show and then the game version of it. And then you've got a guess between you which one you think scored higher on Metacritic. Right. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. You look mm-hmm. confused, Joe. No, no, no. I'm, I, I, sorry. I got, I, I confused myself. I'm back here. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, so there's, there's, only, there's only five here. So it's a nice quick little game. But let's see how we get on. So the first one is stranger things but specifically stranger things in 2017 which scored higher the ios game or stranger things season two both came out in 2017 good question the weakest season of stranger things 100 percent. yes oh god yeah although i mean with fucking five hour episodes this season i'm not even going to test that theory anymore i'm done <laughs> when does that come out is that this week it's on friday yeah. Oh, it's on Friday. Also, oh, you, the listeners, it's out now. Yeah, can't be asked. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna still say season two of Stranger Things yeah. is higher. 
I don't think the iOS game was supposed to be very good, was it? Like, so I would say that season two was better than the bad iOS game. I feel like they released a couple of games. They did like what? season three, the game, didn't they? I yes. think. Wasn't that like an eight bit, like isometric thing? Or both something? are like, like uh, based on like, would it have been NES games in the eighties? Right. Mm. I mean, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you both said the the TV show, right? Yeah. You both are wrong. No. So season two got 78 on Metacritic, whereas the iOS game got an 81. 81? Yeah. That's probably higher than Binary Domain. And I'm playing Binary <laughs> Domain again now, and that's bullshit if it's real. <laughs> I'm angry about something that might be true. <laughs> uh, should we? Does someone want to have a look at Binary Domain on Metacritic while I'm going for the next now. one? <laughs> yeah. Don't you fucking worry about it. Okay, so the next one is Doom. 74. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that's not Doom, that's binary Doom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so, yes, the next one is Doom. So, we've got the 2005 movie right. or the 2001 Game Boy Advanced game. Oh, <laughs> this is... <laughs> sneaky. It's very sneaky. The, everybody hated the movie, didn't they? I imagine most people probably didn't like the 2001 Game Boy yeah, Advance game either. Yeah, but at least the 2001 Game Boy Advance one is still Doom. It might be a terrible like re-engineering of it, but it is still Doom. Doom was good. I'm saying it's the the game is better than the the film. For the sake of the game, I will say the the movie did better. Okay, so the movie got 34 on Metacritic. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the game gone 81. 81. <laughs> yeah. People are into that, that that Doom conversion on Game Boy Advance, apparently. I'm, I don't even remember. I mean, I know exactly what it will look like. I don't know why I'm looking it up. But. <laughs> yeah. It will look exactly like the same one that's on Apple Watch and every other device known to man. Yeah, people talk about how much uh, Skyrim has been ported. You can fucking play, like, Doom on a microwave. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Number three is Alien. Which Ripley won? The PC version of Alien Isolation with Amanda Ripley or the original 1979 film with her mum, Ellen? So it's Alien Isolation or the original film. It's the film. Undoubtedly the film. Yes. Oh. Yeah, because those are going to be modern reviews, right? So it's not going to have... Does Metacritic have, like, reviews from the 70s Doesn't it in do, it? like, legacy reviews? Like I think maybe outlets? maybe if the publication has uploaded a legacy review, like maybe if there was yeah. a Roger Ebert review from the 70s that was put on rogerebert.com, but... Um, See, I this just know, is the like, thing, because at the, the time, I bet people didn't like it that much. Or so I, I bet there was more of a mixed reaction. Probably, but also I know that the the reaction was split on isolation right like the there was that whole american to well, uk split that there was dragged... one certain outlet that yeah didn't score very yeah well. yeah we, <laughs> we won't go there <laughs> um i don't think it was split when the film came out by the way i'm like i feel like it was because it was off the back of like it was the next big sci-fi film after star wars wasn't it mm -hmm. i swear i remember there being people who were like i don't know maybe i'm just thinking of that fucking game we played last week um <laughs> Yeah, fuck. probably some senator saying that the chest burst was an affront to God. Uh, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, I'm hundred percent there'll be that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going movie. You going both going movie? Mm -hmm. You're both correct. The film got eighty nine, whereas Alien Isolation got eighty one. Mm -hmm. 
which you know that, that, that suggests I did score highly in most outlets I imagine some people bringing the average down correct outlets. again we won't go into that <laughs> uh, the next one is Uncharted which of these two scored the highest the 2022 film or the 2022 sorry the 2012 Vita game no not Golden Abyss the turn-based card game Uncharted <laughs> Fight for Fortune <laughs> I reckon the movie in this case. Joe, no, saying? I'm going game. Joe's going the game. Why not? So the movie scored a 45. I haven't seen that yet. Makes me think I probably don't need to bother. <laughs> yup. Uh, and the game, Fight for Fortune, scored a 67. So Hell Joe, yeah. you get the point. Uh, it's two all. And we've got one to play for. Let's see what happens. The last one is Spider-Man. Which of these versions of Miles Morales was miles better? And then he put in brackets, sorry. Yes, he should have put it as well. The PS5 Miles Morales game in 2020 or the film Into the Spider-Verse in 2018? Into Spider-Verse, I think. Like, yeah. everybody loved that. Is that what you're saying as well, Joe? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the game scored at 85 and Into Spider-Verse scored an 87. So it was actually quite tight. That but is yes. closer than I thought it would be. You're both correct. I haven't read this, but there is some sort of tiebreaker at the bottom. Let me just read it. In case you need it, here's a game and film pairing with a podcast-related link between them. Which scored higher? 2021 Aretha Franklin biopic Respect or the Nintendo Switch game Burly Men at Sea? <laughs> <laughs> This is very good. Oh, it is. I'm going. I'm going. Respect. Uh, I feel like you got to say the other one. Matt. Yeah, I think for, for drama sake, so I'm going for Burly Men at Sea. <laughs> so Burly Men at Sea was 72, and Respect was 61. Matt, oh, you win the game. Hey. I thought Respect was more respected. Fair play. It's um, beautifully ironic. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for sending that in, Kevin. That's good. Enjoyed that. Been a fun game, yeah. Uh, right, we've got some feedback. Um, Joe, you've got a traditional one first, and then Matt, we've got something a little bit different afterwards. Trad feed. Um, <laughs> this is from Brandon Orchard. He says, hi, all long time, first time, etc., etc. Firstly, love the podcast. Keeps me entertained while doing my chores on the weekends. That's the second person who's been doing chores at weekends with us and kind of makes me look forward to doing them, question mark. <laughs> anyway, bit of an old random one, but I've only just started playing Immortals Phoenix Rising, which I'm loving. However, I could never get into Br Zelda Breath of the Wild. I know there's a direct comparison there, but I think it's mainly due to me being a through and through PlayStation man. That should be one of their taglines. <laughs> I never really played Nintendo as a kid. I'm 28. Does that mean you're not playing it now because you're not a kid? I don't understand. Yeah. I just found the controls and graphics for the DS strange and confusing. <laughs> just wondering if there was ever a game you guys wanted to play but found the controller slash control system too annoying, complicated, or frustrating. I thought this was going to be about Breath of the Wild, but it's not. It's about a whole other wild mm. business. Um... Interesting. A game with a control system that's too annoying or complicated. I would say with Breath of the Wild, I changed the button layout almost immediately mm. on that game. I can't even remember what it originally was, but it would have been swapping over the, the A and B button, I imagine. Or something along those lines. It didn't yeah. make sense to me. I, I did some weird stuff with jumping being on yes, a button I, you weren't expecting, I think. Yeah. 
interesting. Uh, I, I also get like that with uh, PC games sometimes, just because I'm not mouse and keyboard au fait. Mm. And I don't mind it when it's just first person roaming around, but when there's lots of other buttons involved and like it doesn't sit right with me, so it kind of scares me off playing the game. I'm not an armor person then. No, the entire no. fucking <laughs> keyboard's used for that. Yeah. Um, I mean... I guess there have been like big strategy games where the UI is the thing, like mm. where it's just I find myself navigating it more than playing it. Um, I think is an issue for me. I mean, I say that I play Football Manager, and that's yeah. mostly moving between but that's, elements of the UI. That's also two decades of like being around that game and experience and growing mm. with it. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. Matt, you got anything? <laughs> I, so as someone that didn't play Nintendo games, basically, I had a Game Boy Advance, but then basically and a, and a Wii. But obviously, a Wii controller inputs very, very different on that to a standard controller. But the Switch was my first like regular Nintendo console, and I've never quite got used to the switch around from mm. X to to A or whatever it is, um, which I do find a little bit odd. But um, generally, when I'm playing the Switch, I'm in like I'll be playing the Switch for like a month because I've got a game on there. That I am. Yeah you you adapt in like a couple of days and then yeah. and then it's a bit difficult going back to x um yeah. but i've never been entirely put i'm quite persistent if i want to play a game i'll play it even if it takes like breaking through there are things like, like you saying about strategy games joe there's definitely like i really always wanted to get properly into total war because of the warhammer side of it and i just mm. can't play them but that's more of a case of i am terrible at managing hundreds of units rather than i cannot control them um, so I don't have anything that links to this. Especially in this day and age where it's so easy to just remap. change, but remap button configurations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, when we played dread hunger the other week, I just hated the layout and I just spent 10 minutes just remapping the buttons to work for me. Yeah. See, that is probably when I just stopped playing. Remapping seems like enough of an impediment for me to be like, <laughs> fuck you. No way. Did you do that with overwatch? Did you do that? Uh, I know o- quite a few people that we know do do that. The right? only thing I changed in Overwatch was the insane decision to have Moira's two hands do things on the opposite side of the controller. So her left hand is right trigger and her right hand yeah. is left trigger. Which, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "This is someone is wrong in the head at Blizzard, whoever did th- made this choice. That is crazy. Um, but yeah, so I got rid of that. But that's the only thing I changed in Overwatch. Um okay. Ah, uh, yeah. I feel like I should have a better answer for this, but I don't really. I mean, I mean VR in general. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. Yeah, honestly, it's not sickness. It's not uh, control. It's not motion controls. It's none of that. It's feeling sway, like having that headset on my face for a while and feeling that weird like ring of sweat mm-hmm. around my sure. eyes. That just the idea of it puts me off playing VR. <laughs> I. I hate with vr the idea where something is attempting to be more realistic but actually just puts more hurdles in the way for how long it takes me to do something like you know like reloading animations and stuff in certain games it's like can't be arse just bind it to a burn Mm -hmm. i press like after about 10 minutes i just get sick of it i think it says a lot with vr that kind of like um i bought a vr like headset only like the original quest for when half-life alex came out and i played through half-life alex thought it was absolutely incredible and because there's nothing that's basically has valve's money 
Um, mm. I've just never wanted to go through the rigmarole of putting that on because mm. it was only worth all of the sweat and the rigmarole of setting it up for a game like Half-Life Alex. Like I've never played anything that was then worth it and now it's just sat gathering dust under a table. Oh, well, right in anyway, if you've got any games that you uh, that you decided that you just weren't into after like not liking the button configuration, it's IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Just like these people, the following people have written in. Because last week, we, we've been playing a game recently, which is about IMDb one-star reviews. And we kind of put a soft call out for what a name of that quiz could be. Mm. And a lot of people wrote in. Matt is going to regale us with some of those. Okay, so Robert Buckley offers the following. When you dish upon one star. <laughs> the end. <laughs> kind yeah. regards, Rob. <laughs> Uh, Benjamin Saracen, meanwhile, say, offers... He's got just a number of these, um, all based on, on a similar... Effect. I, it's almost like he's mind map. He's just, will, just giffing it as he goes on. I will say with these ones, they were different emails. They were yeah. constant emails on a thread. Yeah, it wasn't just only put them in it's one email. four separate emails <laughs> that we got over the weekend. I will uh, say this: these personally, the second of these is my favourite and would be my choice. So we've got... Panning for gold. Maybe just gold panning. Mm. Panning for gold? <laughs> Again. Or Again. gold pans? I'll stop. Gold pans <laughs> does not work. Gold panning does. I think that's very clever. Uh, did Wait, did, did Benjamin actually send in panning for gold twice? He, I'm sure he did. I just copy and pasted it all. But <laughs> I, have to, I have to have a look. I want to have a look at that. Uh, I don't want to be accidentally... No, you've put that in twice. <laughs> oh, have I? I'm sorry, Benjamin. I'm sorry. Benjamin did not Stitching do that. that oh, he, said, yeah, he sent three emails. Oh, no, I see what it is. It's because oh, he... it's, it's in the subject. Oh, yeah, yeah in, the, in the quote. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, it would be really funny. <laughs> he was like, maybe just gold panning. No, panning for gold again, actually. <laughs> Um, we've also got one from Levon Young who says one star reviews call it a star is bored yeah nice <laughs> that kind of works yeah and then Stephen Geller says hi team just thought I'd propose a name for the one star review game you recently played on the pod one star in their eyes mm-hmm. obviously stick with the original name if you can find it but I thought I'd send it in if you stood for ideas thanks from Stephen I love how many people heard us like comprehensively fail to do the one job we'd asked ourselves to do, which is name that game. And our lovely listeners gave us a bunch of ideas. I think personally I would go gold panning, but also I know that we will immediately forget all of these the next time we play it and just. I will say I want to hear more. I want more options before we really choose. Is this the endless search for the name of the endless (laughs) search game? I want to hear more. Give us your puns. What have we got? Give us your puns. I think like using getting one star in there in some way is kind of key. After that, you know, fair game. Let's see what you got. That's it, boys. We haven't really, again, I feel like we say this every week, but we haven't really spoke about music or anything this week. No. What's the outer range theme tune like? Oh, uh, it's it's a lost style, just set of noises. It's not really a it's not a theme uh, tune so much. Um, I mean, that's good, but also not good for the podcast. What if we did uh, in in honor of Gollum? We did that song that made someone out of the potatoes bit of the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, I do not that? know the, this, but the yeah, send me the link. Stick him in a stew. Boil and mash him. Stick him in a stew. 
Oh, there we go. Done. Yeah. Let's do that. All right. Thanks, guys. Right. See you later. Enjoy yourselves. Bye. What we need is a few good taters. What's taters, Brussels? What's taters, huh? Potatoes. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Boil them, mash them, boil them, boil them, boil them, mash them, boil them, boil them, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Boil them, mash them, boil them, boil them, potato, 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 potato. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.